0: Hey everybody, boy, do we have a treat for you? We just had Tech Sergeant Anissa Testaverdi on to talk everything, Air National Guard. Uh fantastic conversation. We easily could have gone on for a whole nother hour, but um, you know, Papa Bear's got stuff he's gotta do. So does she. She's got she's really busy as well, especially with all of you folks out there hitting her up. Uh, what I didn't want to talk about though is some of our partners. We've got Cardomax, hit them at CardoMax.com. Any kind of energy. Um, immune booster, energy intensifier, great flavors. You can just little, little tiny packets that are easy to, you know, put in a backpack or shove in your pocket, and then you throw it in some water. You can take it straight from the packet if you want, but it's going to be a, uh, it's going to be a little bit sporty for you if you decide to do that. But they're great partners of ours, um, and and we love drinking their stuff. You can see it, Oh wrong side. You can see it right there, if you will. Um, so. Use a promo code onesready, get yourself a discount and uh, check them out. We also have attackleet.com. That's A T A C L E T E.com. So instead of going to Amazon or some of these other folks and and trying to piecemeal all of your aspect war, uh, Navy SEAL, Army Ranger, Army Green Beret, you know, Marine Raider stuff, all that equipment that you need to uh, help train for the pipeline. You can go to a one-stop shop, attackalead.com, using the promo code onesready for a discount, 10% discount. Um, that way you can just kind of buy in a bundle. You're getting the exact stuff that we use in the pipeline so that you're not having to relearn any kind of equipment. You know the things and the little, you know, uh, quirkiness of some of the stuff. So check them out and uh, get yourself ready for the pipeline. And now on to the great podcast with uh, art Anissa Testaverdi. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Once Ready podcast. You're in the team room. You've got me today. Trent and Aaron are probably off just messing all around, you know, not doing anything important at all. I'm not sure what those guys do. And I hope they hear this and see this shot at you guys. Um, what's cool though is that we have Tech Sergeant Anisa Testaverde with us out of the one hundred forty seventh. Uh it's an attack wing, right?
1: It sure
0: is. All right, out of Houston, Texas. Appreciate you joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm super excited.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you're a, you're a guard recruiter. Um, you've got uh, you have gained quite the following on, on at least the Instagrams uh, that I have seen anyway, because I'm I'm not on anything else. But like you're you're always out there grinding. So thanks for what you do.
1: Thank y'all. I mean, you post such great content and a lot of, uh, the people I talk to are actually like, yeah, I listened to a podcast on, so you know, one's ready. And, uh, then I found you and I'm like, wow, that's awesome. Thanks.
0: <laughs> Sucks to be them. <laughs> so, um, I, we, we had posted a story and I, and I know you know this cause we were already coordinating beforehand, uh, with a whole bunch of questions, uh, that people have, you know, because we, we answer a lot of them, all of the recruiters to include yourself answer a lot of like everybody's busy on um, Instagram, Facebook, just the regular phone calls and emails that you guys get, the drive-bys that are people stopping in. So, um, and hopefully people find you in the office because we were just talking beforehand and you were saying, uh, you know, how many people that that you cover. So tell me about your, your area and like the demographics and how many people you guys are covering and how... How many, like what's your manning at, at the office?
1: So as of right now, we have two production recruiters for the entire Houston city and uh, surrounding areas. So uh, just to give you an example of how large Houston is, one county, we have over 7 million people. Um, So you can imagine two Air National Guard recruiters covering that entire area. All of those people does become a little bit stressful. Um, and so I hear often why, you know, why am I not getting a call back right away? Um, we do our very best to get in contact with you, reach out, text you, email you, message you back on Instagram. But there's so many things that we have to cover and so many people we are talking to on a daily basis that it does make it very difficult for us to, to be responsive within just a few hours.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, like with, with, you know, that amount of people, The population that size, like, what would you say a reasonable amount of time would be? And because people, people gotta understand, like, you're if you're coming, if they're coming to you, they're not the only show in town. There are many, many other people that want to join the guard, want to join active duty. So, Mm -hmm. as I'm saying this, I'm not saying it just you know for for you, but I'm saying Mm -hmm. it for for all the other recruiters. I mean, if you're in a large area, there's it's going to take some time because as you're like I, I experience that as you're DMing or as you're emailing, you know, you get people that are walking in the door or you get phone calls. You're not just going to ignore those people. Hey, let me finish this email. Like you've got to address them because you, you probably have a small window of cap of, you know, getting that person before they're a little bit fed up and they're like, you know what, screw this. So what would be a, like a good amount of time for you?
1: Realistically speaking, I would say three to five business days. Um, that's not including the days that we're off, family days, holidays, weekends. Um, yes, I do work weekends. Yes, I work nights. Um, I'm constantly putting in extra hours so that I can reach back out in a reasonable about amount of time. Um, but I would say three to five business days. I know that you know, um, being customer service, we would like to kind of decrease that time as much as we possibly can, but sometimes it's just not possible.
0: Jeez, no, no rest for the wicked, huh?
1: (laughs) Yes. And then as you probably know, just having social media in itself, that is a full-time job. It's super difficult to maintain and keep up with. So you're always trying to have a presence and uh, posting things, things like that. Unfortunately, people see, oh, well, Sergeant Testaverde is online. She's she's posting stories. That means she's available to talk to me right now. And I'm like, oh, but that's how that works. I'm sorry. (laughs) So
0: (laughs) yeah, this is my job, but I also have to have a life and you also got to be able to take leave and, you know, spend time with your family. You can't spend time on your phone constantly or, or, you know, just working. So as, as great as the Air Force and the Air National Guard and all the services are, I, I do need some time to myself yeah. or, or with my Yeah, my
1: family. sanity is very important, absolutely.
0: <laughs> yeah, very much so. So um, I want to kind of take it, we'll just say chronologically, if you will, um, because you know we've got a lot of questions from a lot of people that are interested in joining the Guard um, and the Air Force in general, but specifically the Guard. A- and I do want to give everybody a heads up, like we will kind of focus on... A lot of the TACP and EOD because Anissa focuses on TACP and EOD, but some of the like general guard questions we will we will also hit. Um, so with that, I'm a civilian coming off the street. I've got to take an ASVAB, right? Which is the oh man, I can. Do you know what ASVAB stands for? Because I couldn't even tell you. No. No, I don't know what the I don't know what the acronym stands for either. But so it's an aptitude test. But what are we looking at in terms of uh, the the minimums? We'll go with the minimums to be able to be a TACP or an
1: EOD. Um, I tell people, doesn't matter if you're just going TACP or P or EOD. If you're coming into any AFSC, I tell you, you want an average score of about sixty ish. Um, reason being is because a lot of the jobs within the international guard, at least the ones that I work with um, they're going to require higher ASVAB scores. The ones that don't require such a high ASVAB scores, I'm not going to lie. We're pretty full. Um, And I think that's pretty much uh, consistent without like Texas and other guard bases. Um, But you want to get at least a 60,
0: at least a 60. And that's, I know there's there's different categories built within that, right?
1: Correct. Yes. Yeah. So there's mechanical, there's administration, general, and electrical. So um, each one of those categories are super important to focus on to get good scores. Um, if you're trying to go into TACP or EOD and you miss out on one of those scores, so I, I believe TACP, I don't have it in front of me, but TACP... Um, the general part is going to be the most important. And you want to be in like the 54, 55 range, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Okay. And I'm going to ask this question because uh, this just happened to a friend, a family friend of mine um, where he went through a recruiter and I'm I'm going to say it's an army recruiter, you know, um, air force tends to not have that many issues uh, getting recruits. However, some other services are missing their numbers not a shot at anybody, it's just the facts. Um, and the army recruiter said, hey, what are you doing tomorrow? Like, you got to work or anything? And, and uh, he was like, no, nah, man, I'm, I'm off. He's like, cool, come do an ASVAB. Like zero prep, zero, he- I mean, he had less than 24 hours heads up, came in and he didn't do well. I mean, he's, he's hasn't been in school in you know eight months or whatever it's been since they graduated last year and he didn't do well on the test. What are are the rules in terms of, like, if I if I take an ASVAB and I fail it, when can I retest it?
1: So there are different um, ASVAB, I guess, tests. You would say the one that we use is the one that you would take at Meps. Um, So I will never send someone unprepared. One, work smarter, not harder. Right? I'm not going to send an unprepared applicant to Meps so that they're not successful. Um, It doesn't make sense to do that. And then on top of that. There's a certain requirement on how how long it takes before you can take it a second time. So I'm usually preaching to the choir when I say you need to study and you need to study very hard because if you don't pass the first time, you're going to extend your wait time to an additional 30 days. And if you have been waiting for a while and you're like, hey, I want to go right now, don't do that to yourself. Just study, make sure you're prepared, go to MEPS, take the ASVAP, you'll do great. Um, so I'm, I'm usually harping on that to everyone that goes through.
0: Yeah. And, and there's, there's books, there's apps that you can use. So, and it's not like it's, it's not a crazy hard test. It's just that if you haven't, if you're not prepared to do that kind of aptitude test or you haven't been in school in a while, it's just, it's just a good refresher. It's not like you've got to take months upon months to study. I mean, you could probably take a week or two and you'd be good.
1: And I actually tell people all the time, it doesn't matter if you have a bachelor's or a master's degree, some of the stuff that you you are being tested on for the ASVAB is stuff that you might have learned in the seventh grade, just very, very basic knowledge stuff. Um, and I have seen that applicants will come in, oh, I have a master's degree. I don't have to take this seriously. Oh, I've already taken the MCAT. I made a 100 on the MCAT. And then they come through, they take the ASVAB and they get a 30 or 40. And they say, "Well, why did that happen? Did you study for the ASVAB, or did you just study college material and think that you're going to get away with it? You could be a really smart person and still do really poorly on this test."
0: Exactly. It's it's not an IQ test. It's an aptitude test, and we okay. it is designed to see how mechanically inclined you are, and actually how fast your your ability to adapt and learn. That's that's the whole point of the test. So, okay, cool. We've hit ASVAB test and, and retaking it. Um, so I'm a civilian, I want to come into the guard and I, I ping you or I ping one of the other recruiters out there and freaking what happens?
1: (laughs) So, yes, the first step is, you you know, Hey, contact a recruiter, um, for any AFSC, I would say, Hey, you're going to talk to a recruiter. Um, we're going to ask you general questions as a pre screen to see if you are qualified to join the International Guard. Um, so, things that we're looking for are Have you ever had any law violations? Um, are you currently taking medications? Have you taken medications in the past? How long ago has it been since you've taken these medications? Um, you know, just basic questions that we want to know before you go to MEPS because. Once you get to MEPS, they're going to do a huge screen on you and they're going to be like, well, this person isn't qualified. And then at the end of it, you're going to go through hours of, you know, physical, uh, like going through a a really long physical, taking the ASVAB. And then you may not even qualify. So we want to make sure we're doing you right by doing that up front. Um, And then from there, we gauge where you're trying to go. What are you trying to do? At the end of the day, within the Air National Guard, it's not like active duty, where you might not see your recruiter ever again. Um, Eventually, if I'm no longer a recruiter in two years from now, and I go back to medical, for instance, then I might be working with you. So I don't want to put someone in the wrong job or the wrong unit that maybe your personalities won't mesh. So There's a lot that we look into. It's kind of like matchmaking, but with units. Um, So that's going to be super important. Once we go through all of that, we start paperwork. Um, You start the paperwork, you get everything signed off. I get documents from you. So social security, driver's license, birth certificate. If you're still in high school, then I need um, a high school letter saying, hey, this person is going to be graduating um, and then, if you have, for instance, braces, then we need a letter from your orthodontic saying, "Hey, you're going to be taking off these braces before you go to basic training." So those are the things that we'll do. And then eventually, we'll schedule you for Meps. Now, keep in mind that getting you to Meps is a little bit difficult uh, now because most people um, in high school or even in elementary school are being put on medications. Mm. Um, so if you do have a past medical history of any kind, We have a new system called Genesis, and Genesis allows MEPS to see almost everything. So you're not going to get away with not telling your recruiter, because at the end of the day, you're going to go through MEPS, and they're going to find it, and there's a good chance that they're going to kick you out of MEPS, and you're not going to be able to do anything that day. So you just wasted a whole night at a hotel um, and woke up super early in the morning And then you're going to have to call me and explain to me why you lied or you didn't disclose something, which is not going to be a good conversation. Um, And then in addition to that, I'm going to have to get a bunch of documentation from you. So just knowing that stuff in advance is going to be super important because it'll save you time. Um, Once you go through MEPS, like I said, you'll go through a physical. It's going to be a full physical. Um, They make you do crazy things at MEPS. Probably remember that. And then uh, you take the ASVAB that same day. I pretty much know whether or not you're going to qualify for one job, zero jobs or 10 jobs because I'll get the ASVAB scores back that same day. So um, I will say it is a little bit different if you're trying to go special warfare. So if you're trying to go P or EOD, um, I kind of do the vetting for the 147th ASOS uh, at least somewhat in the in the front it eliminates that um me having to reach out to the unit and them vet and then we go throughout the next steps they they give me a little bit of freedom in the fact that they kind of know like hey Testaverdi um knows what we're looking for so go ahead vet vet them and most of the time whenever i'm talking to someone who is interested in tac or eod Within the first 10 minutes, I can tell you whether or not this person is going to be a good candidate. Um, Reason being is whenever you start using words like, I think this is what I want to do, or Mm -hmm. this is my second option, or can I do this? But then like my goal is to do this in the end. Those are all things that are going to be like red flags for me because we're looking for people who are fully devoted to this uh, career field. We don't want this to be just a stepping stone for you to go into a different career field or I don't know, just all of those things. So, and also if you have a bad attitude, um, you're, you're not going to be successful. It's just, it's highly unlikely, um, for attack peas and EODs. I will say that, um, I'll have all of these conversations. I'll have, you know, 50 conversations with 50 guys in one week. And out of those 50 people, zero may end up ever taking an IFT. Um, or you may get one, you may get super lucky and that's usually not the case. I I could say most of the time I'm working hundreds of people before one person takes the IFT. So I, I take it with a grain of salt. Every conversation, I usually give about an hour of my time, which if you can imagine, if I have seven people calling me about TACPs, that's seven hours gone. That's an entire day. That means I didn't even get to touch anybody else who's interested in joining. So never take for granted the time, you know, recruiters are giving you, especially for those AFSCs that require um, the full lowdown of the the career field or the pipeline. Um, So what ends up happening is I'll talk to somebody. I will let them know, hey, these are the steps. This is how it's done. And I kind of just say, Hey, if you're not going to contact me, I'm not going to contact you. And maybe that's not the correct way to do it. But at the end of the day, I've done this so many times that the guys who want to do it will call me back. They will text me back and they will provide me all of the documents that, that are needed to start the process. Um, so typically the first step for attack P contact your recruiter. Well, for me, it's, Hey, contact your, your recruiter. You don't necessarily need to contact the unit first. Um, I know other ASOS may be different in that manner because they don't necessarily have a special warfare recruiter who kind of vets them at first. Um, and then once we've had a conversation, you're, you tell me, Hey, this is my timeline. I think I could be ready in two weeks for the IFT. Perfect. So in two weeks, contact me, let me know you're ready. Uh, Once you say, hey, Sergeant Testaverde, I'm ready to take the IFT. How do I go about this? I will get you in contact with the unit. I'll say, this is, you know, this person, he's non-prior service or he is prior service. He would like to schedule an IFT for the next few weeks or somewhere in the next few weeks. Um, Can you work with him on getting that started or scheduled? And they'll say, yes, they'll get it scheduled. They'll come in for an IFT. And then once they've gone through the IFT process, that same day, they're going through an interview. Um, The interview is very informal, uh, but you usually have a few of our TACPs sitting down with you, asking you questions. And I always tell people that the interview is going to be super informal in the sense that they just want to get to know you as a person. They saw what you were able to do on the IFT. They could see if you're physically fit. They could see if you give up, um, you know, 10 minutes in. Um, So those things you've already kind of passed or didn't pass. Um, And then they just want to see, okay, is this guy going to be a good fit for the unit? Once that's done, the ASOS will reach out to me and let me know whether or not they want that guy. Um, If they want that guy, then the process starts. For getting your documentation, sending you to Meps, and then and then going from there. So I don't I don't send anybody to Meps until they hi- have an IFT and approval from the unit because otherwise that's an additional forty eight hours of your time that that you just wasted if you can't pass an IFT.
0: Wow, you, <laughs> you nailed that. Um... <laughs> So there's, there's three things and I wrote them down just because I, I wanted to hit real quick that you said. Um, so when we start talking about wasting time, right? Wasting their time, essentially wasting your time. Um, I, I'm going to say this, but feel free to, to hop in on this. Please, if you are hesitant on contacting a recruiter, whether it's guard or, or a normal active duty recruiter, like don't. Don't not reach out to them because you feel like you're wasting their time. Reach out to them, give them some time to respond to you and link up with you. But don't don't just go, oh, man. They're so busy. I'm not gonna <laughs> reach out to them. I'm not gonna do anything like do it, please. I mean, because if not, you're you're never going to know. Um, I don't know if you have anything on that, but
1: um, I would definitely say, yeah, reach out to us. Um, especially making a huge decision like special warfare that is a huge decision. And sometimes you don't know half of what you need to know to make a good and informed decision. So I could, I could help you with that. Um, at the end of our conversation, you'll know whether or not you are capable of being successful in this career field. Um, some things like, Hey, you're going to be gone for two years. Can you handle that? Some people don't even think about that. Oh, well, my family, my, you know, maybe my finances, my civilian job. Um, so, have the conversation with a recruiter. see if you are a good candidate for special warfare, and if not what did what was it that brought you to a recruiter or thinking of joining the international guard if it's "Hey, I just want to serve, then serve in a different capacity. We have plenty of jobs that might suit you a little bit better than you know this a f s c
0: yeah, absolutely and Anisa, you said uh, another thing that i that I wanted to hit was. When you start talking about uh, how many people have been on medications or whether they have a, a, a colorful past, like don't index yourself as in don't tell yourself no, make the recruiters make MEPs tell you no. If this is something you really want to do and you're like, man, I, I took whatever medication or I, I had marijuana back in the day or mm-hmm. I did w- whatever, like don't just go, no, I'm screwed. I can't do it. Go to a recruiter have them tell you, no, if they, if you pass the recruiters, uh, you know, initial screening, and then you go to Meps, let them tell you, no, don't just, and, and if you go to maps, you're not stuck anyway. You know, yeah, if, if you're like, Hey, I came in to do this Meps said that I can only do this because of X amount of things you still can opt out and you're good.
1: Yeah. And I will piggyback on that is, you know, there are waivers for certain medications or there are waivers on You know, certain medical histories that you may have. So um, don't always trust what you're researching and what you see online. Speak to a recruiter who does this on a daily basis. And, you know, your case might be a little bit different. So I may not know right away, but I'll research it. I'll figure it out. I'll look through my guidance. um, I'll call MEPS beforehand and see, hey, is this person ever going to make it through the chief medical officer? Is this person ever going to make it through the surgeon general waiver? Like, um, we will do that for you, but yeah, let us tell you, let MEPs tell you whether or not you are unable or not fit for military service.
0: No, absolutely. And last one on what you had said, preparation of documentation before coming to visit you, you talked about, um, you know, g- gathering all the paperwork, like what, what paperwork should they gather? And and this is not paperwork for the initial visit. This is paperwork for like, when should they have start gathering all of this paperwork uh, for you or for MEPS?
1: To be fair, if you know you want to join, you should have it the the day that you are talking to a recruiter. Just be prepared because not all people have a stack of all of their important documents sitting right next to them. Sometimes, you know, they just went through a move. It's in a box or something like that. So, so work on obtaining it. Um, throughout the process, but especially towards the front of it, because we're going to want those pretty quickly. That's, we have a conversation, hey, send me your documents. Um, with that being said, like, like I had mentioned, it's social Se- Social security, it's going to be your high school diploma, driver's license and birth certificate. And if you're prior service, then we want to see some type of separation document. So whether that be a DD-214, um, you know, a separation order from the Air Force Reserves or an NGB 22 for the guard. So those those are the things that we'll be looking for. Um, Unfortunately, for prior service, if you have a separation document with a re-entry code that's not a one, that's going to be an issue. Um, It'll have to depend on what you received an RE code for. Like if it's not a one, we're going to look into why, what happens there. Is it a good RE code? Is it a bad RE code? And we have to move forward with that too, but that's just one of those extra qualification questions that we ask up front
0: okay oh i i wasn't tracking any of that i mean obviously if you have somebody that's you know a a dishonorable discharge like that's Mm -hmm. that's probably you know probably an issue
1: (laughs) yes yes absolutely but i will say on that too is just because you have a bad re code because i've i've done waivers for them um for instance i had someone who had a hardship discharge well this person had a real reason for getting out of the service he had an honorable discharge I'm not going to tell him no, just because he had a really rough time. Like I'm not heartless. So a waiver is possible for some of those reentry codes.
0: Okay. All right. Um, moving along a little bit in terms of living. Oh, oh, actually, you know what? Okay, cool. I make it past MEPS. Then what?
1: Um, so once you pass MEPS, if there's no waivers needed at that point, then I personally, I will start looking into what jobs you qualify for. So um, I'll look at your scores. I'll look at medically. If you were, let's say you don't have any depth perception, but there's going to be some jobs that you don't qualify for because of that. But typically it's going to be the score. So I'll look at all of it and I will come up with a list of vacancies that we have in our base or at our base. Um, and then I'll say, all right, you know, here are 10 different jobs that you qualify for. Which one is the one, you know, which ones are you most interested in? So if you're just interested in any AFSC, not special warfare, then you're going to get an option of getting a tour. You can go and tour the base. You can meet meet each unit, um, talk to leadership, uh, and make an informed decision for yourself which unit is going to be the best. Now, if you are um, trying to go P or EOD, Once you've made it through MEPS at this point, you've already done the IFT, you've already been vetted, you've already been approved by the unit. Uh, Now it's just a matter of getting you enlisted. So we'll get you enlisted. We try making it a big deal because especially for special warfare, actually, I guess you would say for any AFSC, it's a huge accomplishment to make it through all of those steps and then we want to see family, we want to see friends, and you know, record the entire uh, enlistment process for you. So make it as as best um, and as fun as possible, so it's like memorable.
0: Oh, that's cool. Um, we, like when we start talking about you know selecting units and stuff like that, we're you're recruiting for uh, full time guard and part time, right?
1: So the full time positions are going to be a little bit difficult. For full time positions, you have to already be in the Air Guard. So okay. I won't really touch that too much unless you are, let's say, transferring over from the Air Force Reserves, right? So something like that. You're interested in a full time position. You actually have to go to like the bo- go through the boarding process um, and be selected prior to working with a recruiter. So that's the very last step is working with the recruiter. So most of the positions I will work uh, in filling are going to be the part-time jobs.
0: Oh, okay. I, I yeah. wasn't tracking that. So if if that's the case, then what ex- what is kind of the distance that you're you know authorized to you know live from the unit that you you happen to be assigned to? Because I and I. In full disclosure, I know every unit's different, or I believe every unit's different, but I know each state Mm -hmm. is different. So what is it for your area?
1: So I would definitely say every unit is different um, because I can't speak for the rest of the units in Texas. We are completely different. Um, Certain AFSCs will say, hey, like, let me just give you an example, like sensor operators or intel analysts um they're working a 24/7 mission here at the 147th attack wing um and oftentimes those positions are going to be looked at for some full-time opportunities even if it's for a couple of weeks here and there um what they don't want is to have someone who is out of the state or you know living 600 miles away um because it's going to make it more difficult to get you on orders, right? So, uh, for sensor operator, intel analyst, we're, we're thinking, hey, you got to be in the Houston or local area. For TAC P, for EOD, doesn't matter where you're coming from. I have put people in from Wisconsin, um, I have put people in that are currently living in New Mexico. You don't have to live in the state of Texas to be a TAC P or EOD. Um, just know that we we only cover the cost of lodging. We don't cover the cost of um, airfare or gas. So keep that in mind. And then also with that being said, that's only for your drill, your drill service, right? Um, if you're going TDY, if you're going on a deployment, that doesn't count. You're gonna get the lodging. You're gonna get the airfare. We cover everything at that point to include meals. So that's what makes it a little bit different.
0: Okay. Um, one thing that I, I want to make sure that I hit that I, I may have glossed over is development. Um, on the active duty side, these folks know, cause we've talked about it before, but, you know, there, there are development sessions. There are developers that are regionally based all across the U.S. that help, you know, uh, recruits get to the point where they can not only pass the IFT, but help, help along the way and, and prep them for the pipeline. Is there, can, can guard, uh, utilize those? developers
1: so i i'm not going to lie that i don't know i know that there are developers that will conduct the ift uh and stuff like that for our members but most of the time you have to really kind of network with the special warfare recruiters um once you start networking with them they're really cool about saying oh yeah like you know your guy can just hop in on you know our depth session where they go out for two days at a time and they just have like their motivational fitness. Um, so at that point, you could you can kind of do it that way. I can't speak on the rest of the ASOS's, but I will say that um, leading up to taking the IFT, that's gonna be the hardest part. A lot of it for the air guard, we don't have the same resources that active duty may have to prepare yourself for taking the IFT um once you've enlisted and I should mention this so once you've enlisted you will start drilling with us one weekend a month two weeks out of the year um so you're going to get paid for those two days that you come in versus well when you're in the debt program you're not getting paid um you're kind of already working towards that federal time as well because you are serving and during that time you're going to be put into a one level program So that's really where we start to kick in and say, hey, we're going to get you ready for the pipeline. You've already passed the IFT. Um, You're going to take the IFT every single time you come in for drill, and you are going to have motivational fitness every single day for hours at a time. It's going to (laughs) be great. Um, I usually give the spiel after they've enlisted, like, hey, take no offense to it. They are just preparing you for the pipeline. If you can't handle the pressure now, you are going to have a very difficult time in the pipeline. And in fact, they will notice that weakness before you leave, and they're likely never going to send you. They'll just say this isn't a good fit for you because the likelihood of you being successful at you know prep um, or going through the pipeline and graduating is slim to none.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you're you're absolutely right, and that. I'm going to ask a question later on. That's going to be specific on that, but I, I would I'm going to get myself out of order here. If, okay. if I do. That. <laughs>
1: um,
0: so yeah, I got to make sure. The, uh, is there an age requirement for on the guard side of the house? Like a, a, you know, max age.
1: So the max age is going to be 39. Once you hit 40, you are now a pumpkin. There's nothing we can do for you. Um, The one exception to that is if you are prior service. So let's say you did six years active duty. um, You are now 46 years or 45 years old. You're good to go. Like I've put in a 47 year old um, that came in from the Coast Guard. He's going to kill it. He's going to do awesome. There's nothing that's going to prevent him from, you know, being awesome. And the same applies to um, the ASOS. So it doesn't matter if you are 37 years old. As long as you have that motivational, like that internal motivation, it doesn't matter what age you are. Are you willing to push yourself? Um, you know, I get it all the time. Are you you know am I going to be successful at 37? Yes, and I would say most of the guys that I speak to are on the older side. They say, I want to serve in some capacity. and this is the coolest job that I have I've researched. This is what I want to do. Um, am I going to be successful? And at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself that because no one else can answer it other than you. Are you physically fit? Are you mentally fit to go through that? Um, Are you financially capable? Because stepping away from your civilian job, especially if you're making 200 grand, then you got to look at that, that pay decrease and then say, is this something that I can do? Is this something that my family can work through as well? Because that's a hard part going through the pipeline. And, um, not being there mentally because you are worried about your life on the outside. That's going to be a killer for you. It's never, it's not going to be good for you. It's going to be hard. So, yeah,
0: absolutely. And, and on the other side of that, what's the minimum age? Like if you have a 14 year old that comes to you, I imagine you probably are like, Hey, I'm probably not even legally allowed to talk to you. So what's the minimum (laughs) age?
1: Yeah, when the fourteen-year-olds come and talk to me, I give them my card and I say, "Hey, in a few years, give me a call." Um, but seventeen as a senior, so uh, if you are going into your senior year and you are seventeen years old, we can get the process started. And I would say, "Hey, if you're a junior and you know what you're looking for, start. You can you can ask a recruiter those questions. You can start that conversation early as soon as you turn seventeen and you're going into you know your senior year. Let's talk. You can do this."
0: yeah Yeah. i mean some of my some of our responses to some of the you know 14 15 16 year olds that are like hey i'm dedicating my life to training it's like hey that's really cool and that's that's great that you are you know getting physically fit and that you're you know that you you have your eyes set on a prize but also don't you're only in high school once don't Mm -hmm. don't throw all that away like there this job these jobs and this job is not going anywhere. You are you are only in high school once. You only get to play high school football, soccer, volleyball, track and field one time. And if you're good enough, maybe you get to play in college. Mm-hmm. But that, that's it. So enjoy that time. We're not going anywhere.
1: <laughs> that's correct. And one more thing to say about that is if you are 17 and you are interested in joining, um, you do have to have parental consent. So that is a huge one. Um, until you are eighteen, there's nothing I can do um, if your parents say no. Unfortunately, but
0: yeah. Well, speaking of parents, how often do uh, do you get parents that come in with their with their their children, or the, um, whether they're eighteen year old or or, or not? I mean, because we had gotten some feedbacks from, from recruiters saying like, "Hey, we've gotten a lot of parents coming in and kind of not letting." their, their child kind of flee the nest or, or make some decisions Mm -hmm. and ask some questions on their own.
1: I've, I've gotten pretty lucky in that department. There have been a couple of really difficult parents I've worked with. I would say less than half the time um, a parent will get super involved in it. Um, But the parents that I have worked with have been really great and they've been very supportive. One mother that I'm currently working with, she is so supportive of her son. All of her children are currently serving minus the one who's you know, thinking about joining. Um, so in that aspect, you either have someone who really supports their child or someone who is super against it. And at that point, I think the reason why I don't see those often is because I don't think their their child is willing to contact me knowing that their parents are so Um, against it. And it's probably not going to be later in life where they say, well, mommy and daddy can't tell me what to do. So I'm going to do it anyways. And then they give us a call. So yeah.
0: (laughs) I don't care what you tell me. You can't do anything about it.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm, Exactly.
0: (laughs) Um, So you had mentioned, you know, being away for, for two years during a pipeline, which, which is about accurate, you know, depending on how schools line up depending on how well you do if you get injured or recycled or anything like that whether it's in base training or during the pipeline um, during that time you are on active duty orders correct
1: that is correct so you know whenever you're coming in one week in a month in the one level program you you're gonna be paid for those two days that you're with us um, once you go to basic training or if you're prior service straight to SWIC uh, or PREP, Um, you'll be put on active duty orders. Um, During that timeframe, you're going to be getting a full paycheck, um, healthcare, all that fun stuff. Um, But there have been recent changes to to that in the sense that it is considered a PCS once you reach, you know, SWIC and pipeline. So it, it changes how you are funded. And I think that's the reason why it gets a little bit more challenging with families is Hey, this is a move. This isn't a TDY.
0: Yeah. But so with that, your family, like your family's still going, are they going to remain like I'm specifically on the guard side? Are they going to remain wherever they left from? Because they're not going to PCS. They're not going to PCS the family to Lackland.
1: Correct. Yeah. So it, that it will not be allowed. Um, a, a PCS is going to be only for the service member. Um, They will stay in the dorms. It doesn't matter if you're prior service or if you're non-prior service and the family will have to remain wherever they're at. Obviously they're encouraged, um, you know, come see their, their loved one at some point, but to a certain extent as well, because these people are in a, a different atmosphere and they need to keep their brain in the game. Otherwise you let it slip. And that's when they say, Hey, I miss home. I want to go. I don't want to be here anymore. So we always encourage like, Hey, yeah, have that, um, have that time with your family, but don't let it affect you or let that slip up at any, like at any point. So,
0: yeah, no, exactly. The distractions can be distractions are a real thing. One of the, mm-hmm. and I can't remember if, Colonel Schindler mentioned this. I, I know that we've we kind of talked about it, but there is a noticeable decrease in – so, you know, instructors have to take Christmas break or, you know, the holiday break. So do students, stuff like that. But with the way the classes line up, there is a noticeable increase in quitting – and, and decrease in motivation and, and focus around the holiday season because you get these people that are all amped up. They've they just got a base They've been training for special warfare this entire time. They take a little bit of leave or maybe some family comes out to visit and then it distracts them. And they're no longer like, man, do I really want to put up with this and go through all this? Mm-hmm. Like they, the around the Christmas time, post Christmas, there is a lot of quitting that happens.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't encourage that. Obviously, self elimination is not what we're looking for. At least at the one forty seventh ASOS, or you know, I could probably speak to the rest of the ASOS. Yes, you could at that point. <laughs> Yeah, self <Self-elim- laughs> elimination we... is not good. <laughs> no,
0: no, it's not no, good at all. <laughs> um, which is is why, from the guard aspect, to to, to stick up for the whether it's an ASOS, uh, an EOD unit, a special tactics unit, doesn't matter. Guard is a different thing than active duty, so that is why the guard can be a little bit more um, interview heavy and selective. Because once they hire you, like you're in, you're in for a while. So if if there's any hint that you may self eliminate or quit, like there, there's a good chance that they're probably not going to pick you up.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, another one it would be. Active duty transferring to the guard, um, and, I, and and this is actually something that I don't know. Do do normal, you know, ANG or, or Air National Guard recruiters handle that kind of stuff, or are there specific? Yeah. Okay, you do.
1: We do, yeah. So there's going to be a couple of options. Um, there's going to be the Palace Chase, which is essentially your. You're leaving your contract early. You are separating before your ETS. Um, the Palace Chase process, it's its like you really should speak to your ISR. They're the gurus of how the packages um, work, uh, who is most likely to, to be approved for Palace Chase. Um, but I know you have to wait until at least half of your contracts before you can start working that uh, that you know, the package and then as well as for palace chase, you have to be in an AFSC, um, that is not super critical or undermanned. So TACPS do struggle with this one a little bit. Um, But I have seen it. It has, you know, they have been successful. So don't let that, you know, discourage you from starting the process. Definitely try. The worst you can say is, hey, it didn't work out. I have to wait a couple of years. Um, Palace front is going to be where you wait until your date of separation and the day after you join the air guard. So you're wanting to start this process six to eight months prior to when you want to separate. So for Palace Chase, let's say you want to separate in April. You're going to want to start six to eight months prior to that. And for Palace Front, it's going to be the same exact thing. Um, and I guess going back to going to MEPS, you're going to want to make sure that, hey, if you are, if you have medical conditions and medical history, you're you're currently seeking um, medical care at an active duty base, then you're going to want to make sure that everything is fully documented. Um, making sure that there are no loose ends, because if you have a loose end, hey, I broke my foot, but I never had a follow up. Our providers, who are going to medically clear you here in Houston, they're going to say, "Well, we don't know if you are still having pain. Is this going to be an issue? Are you going to need to get on medications at some point? Are you going to need um, surgery at some point?" We don't, and and I know this sounds bad, but when we're doing a, a medical clearance for active duty members. We are going to make sure that you are good to go. We don't want to bring in unhealthy people. We don't want to um, put ourselves in a situation and, you know, basically uh, pick up that risk.
0: No, no, exactly. And the the whole—it's not just a risk for the for the community. It's also a risk for the member too, because you are, you have an underlying issue that mm-hmm. either you know about or you don't know about, and you're kind of hiding. It is a risk to you. Um, and and maybe it's something benign, but. Um, I know talking to him to, there was somebody I was talking to and they were right on the verge because they had a curvature of the spine scoliosis. And I know that there's like a, and I could, I'm making this up, but I think it's 3% of a curvature, but I I, don't quote me on that. Everybody out there. Um, and, and he was very frustrated because he's like, you know, this is all I've ever wanted to do and that kind of stuff. And he was, uh, he was a little bit older. I'm like, you know, Hey, and he didn't understand why they have that. I'm like, well, Man, we we are throwing on we are putting our bodies through some insane stuff over long periods of time, over years, Mm -hmm. lots of heavy weight. You know, if you have a curvature of spine, like we a healthy back at the end of this job typically Mm -hmm. has some pain, lower back pain, crushed uh crushed discs, slip discs. I know plenty of people who have neck fusions, you know, like so like it's going to be rough. And if you're already at a predisposed issue. Like it's for your own good. It's also a a monetary thing too, because now the DoD, regardless of service, has to pay for you for the rest of your life, and Mm -hmm. that gets expensive. So there's a lot of aspects to go into it.
1: Yeah, Um, I definitely agree with all of what you just said.
0: (laughs) Well, I, you know, a lot of people probably already know that, but it's just important to highlight because it's not, it's not the system. Or a recruiter or MEPS or whoever, you know, picking on you. It's not personal. It's like there's a lot of variables in that equation that you have to account for. So, um, how long does that palace, uh, the palace chase process take? Or or either of the palace?
1: Yeah, so the the process is going to be exactly the same for me. It's probably a little bit different on the ISR, the in-service recruiter because maybe the packages look a little bit different. Um that's what I don't see. But from my side it's going to be the same. Okay, you're, you're trying to do Palace Chase or Palace Front, um get me the documents that I need. I need um I need ba- basically your your basics, so social security, all that fun stuff. In addition to that, I need to know what you what your goal is for joining the Air National Guard. Are you wanting to stay in your same job or are you wanting to cross-train? And if you're trying to stay in your same job, then I need to make sure that we have a position for you and we have that AFSC here in Houston. If you're trying to cross-train, are you looking for a specific job or are you cool for anything? Because I could give you a list of jobs that you qualify for. Um once you do that, then you start the medical process. So that could take easily a month or two, depending on, um, the severity of what your medical record looks like. If your medical record is this big, then that process will probably take a lot longer for you than it will take for the, you know, the person who has been in maybe four years and hasn't had a single injury. Um, so I, I always encourage people to take it seriously, and when I say, hey, is there anything that you know about that's going to be a red flag? Please let me know. I really mean it because, you know, we're going to submit your medical record and they're going to come back and be like, this person has an ongoing condition. Like, well, sir, why did you not tell me that? Because I would have told you, hey, go get this documentation or go see, go get seen by your doctor and get cleared. Um, once you've been medically cleared, we ensure that we have a position number for you. So active duty. Um, you know, active duty recruiters say, "Hey, we have all these these jobs, and we're recruiting for all of these jobs. I can only recruit for the jobs that we have here in Houston. So, if just like any civilian job, if that job is not available, then it's not available to you. Um, if you are fully qualified, the great thing is we can put you in as an excess. So, what that means is um, two people can sit in the same spot. That's that's no problem. Where the risk or when it becomes a problem, it's where we have someone who's not fully qualified. So, let's say a cross trainee, we can't double slot you in that aspect. Um, so, getting you a position number, making sure that the unit is aware of your presence and that you want to come. Sometimes the units just want to touch base with that person beforehand, let them know, hey, these are our expectations. Will this work for you? Um, and as soon as they say yes, then we'll move forward. And a lot of times what will end up happening is there's just a lag. So we've gotten everything done, but now you're waiting to separate. So it may be um, that your palace front or palace chase are waiting for you to separate and enlist with us. So there may be no communication for a month. We get you enlisted and then you start drilling with us one weekend a month. But I will say that if everything goes smoothly, we can easily get both palace chase and palace front done within a couple of months. Some people may take all six or eight months.
0: So it was a lot. Yeah, I mean that was a question that was asked, and I and I was hesitant to ask it just because I know and and you alleviate or um, alluded to it already. Like there's a lot of variables in that that there determine that. So it's there's no set like hey it's it will be three months. There's there's none of that. So I, I appreciate you you dancing around <laughs> around yeah. that question. Um, <laughs> One of the other ones was, uh, what can be the expected ship time? So, say, say I I come to you as a some geek off the street, and I've got all my paperwork, and I can already pass an IFT initial contact.
1: So, once you have enlisted, and that it, again, going back to it, it's different for everybody. It truly is. So, once you have enlisted. I tell people again about six to eight months before you are shipping off. Um, while you are coming in one weekend a month and you're in the one level program, your main job, other than being physically fit and mentally fit for the pipeline, is getting your secret clearance done. So we differ from active duty in that aspect. We do it up front. We want to make sure that you can pass a secret clearance before we send you to basic training. So that in itself takes quite a few months. Um, I'm not going to lie, especially if you're going into an AFSC that may require top secret, you can expect it to take a lot longer. Um, So they look at that. So for, let's just say, Tac P, you're going to need a special warfare physical. If you need any waivers at that point, it's going to have to go all the way up to the state air surgeon who, you know, there's only there's two people, there's the the state air surgeon and then the deputy state air surgeon who oversees all of Texas. Um, so it takes a while. Um, I usually tell people six to eight months before you ship off. Realistic expectations are super important. And if you're thinking you're leaving tomorrow, even though I told you you're not leaving tomorrow, you're not doing yourself any service. Like you're doing yourself a disservice by by thinking that it's going to happen sooner than that. It's just not going to.
0: Oh. You- I'm happy you said it. I didn't even prep you for that because,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, it. gone are the days where you show up, you know, to a recruiting recruiter on a, on a Friday, hit MEPS Monday. And then all of a sudden you're, you're in the air force, army, Navy, Marine, whatever. So, um, those days are gone. It takes <laughs> a lot longer now yeah. for, for a bunch of whole different reasons. Like it's, it's not just one, one thing, but no, that's good. Um, Okay. So I already told you that we were, that I was going to ask you about that, but you had talked about characteristics of, of folks coming in and that you can kind of tell and that some of the, the members from the ASOS or, or other units that you're recruiting for will come and hang out and kind of do a soft interview and stuff like that. So what are some of the characteristics that you have noticed from, from people that, that made it and then people that you're like, Mm, this is kind of a red flag. I, I'm highly doubting that you're going to make it.
1: Um, so what I'm looking for is uh, how sure you are about wanting to be in special warfare. Um, if you are, if you're calling me and you've not like already listened to the ones ready podcast, or <laughs> you're not researching um, about the career field, that's going to be a red flag for me because this is not just um, this is not just any job. Um, this is a very specialized career field. So I want to make sure that you've already done some research before you call me. Um, obviously, I can give you a bunch of in- information. That's no problem. But if you're calling me and you say, oh, I didn't know I have to go to the pipeline. Like I didn't know it was going to be that long. Oh, I didn't know that there's an IFT. Well, OK, go. Go out, do the research, figure out if this is something that you want to do, and then give me a call. Um, but usually, what I'm looking for is how sure you are about wanting to join. If you have ifs or buts, then that is going to be a reason for me to tell the ASOS mm, I don't know if this is a good fit for you. Um, also, if you say, "Hey, I'm 100 pounds overweight, and I don't think I can pass the IFT for another year," okay, well get, get on that, make sure that you are working very hard, um, at preparing yourself for the IFT. If you're not physically there or not mentally there, then it's, it's not going to, you're not going to be successful. Um, other things for is just the, just being humble. So sometimes calling me and saying, Oh, I could do this. I could do that. Oh, I already know, like, you know, talking over me and saying, Oh, I already know. I know that. I know that. Well, do you know that though? Because you're calling me asking me for, you know, for answers. So, When I'm saying, hey, the ASOS tells me that you need to know a proper form, so a proper push-up and a proper pull-up, don't take it offensively. I'm not questioning whether or not you know how to do it. I'm just saying this is coming straight from the ASOS, and they want to see proper form. They will not count it when you are doing an IFT. So work on that. Um, And if you can't take criticism, then it's probably not going to be a good fit for you because you are going to face a lot of challenges when you're in the pipeline. And even while you're in the one level program, you're going to question, why am I here? So those are the things that I'm looking for is just having a good attitude towards it, um, being prepared, coming prepared, and just knowing that you want to be there. That's going to be super important.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. All things that are not... What you said is not profound, it's not cosmic. it's not like yeah. oh my gosh, that was eye opening. yet it's um probably happens quite often. I mean how, how, how often time. are you are you're really hitting people all the time that're just talking over you and and
1: oh yeah, I think that's one of my one of the biggest challenges of working with um, a spe- you know the special warfare community P and EOD is um, the fact that I'm not an operator. And I don't actually have or hold the special warfare recruiter title. I've just engulfed myself in this, and I I've gone a, like quite a few extra ste- steps. Like I've gone to see SWIC. Like I've um, I've I've spoken to instructors. I've gone on cast trips with the AOS. Um, I'm there every day asking new questions, trying to see what's changed because things change all the time in the career field. Um, so trying to be a SME, but also never having been an operator. So that's the biggest challenge. And a lot of the times, you know, I will get people calling me saying, oh, I wanna to speak to an operator. Like you're not an operator. And I'm like, I'm not an operator, but I am, I am the, the first person you are speaking to on behalf of the ASOS and you're not doing a good job. This is This is me offering you a job. And if you are coming to me, And you're kind of being disrespectful what does that say for the asos and them wanting to pick you up probably nothing good so
0: uh i may or may not make that into a reel
1: (laughs) yeah yeah that'd be great (laughs)
0: um okay well I I want to close this out because it's been, well, actually we could go for a whole nother hour, but I want to get some, some of your final thoughts and any kind of messaging that you'd like to get out to to people. Like you, you've given out a whole bunch of information and I really appreciate it, but like, this is, this is your opportunity to just like straight to the recruits or the pe- people that are thinking about it. Like, what is something that you really want to get to them? Well, and you can mix it in with advice too, if you wanted to.
1: Um, yeah, I really have already touched on quite a bit, but just, um, just giving it your all at the end of the day, whether it be for any AFS AFSC or for special warfare is, um, just going in with the, the right attitude, um, giving it your absolute all and just being, uh, like devoted to what you are trying to accomplish, um, with that, you will be successful. It doesn't matter. Again, it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter um, your gender. You can be successful. You just have to be ready and prepared for this big move and this big change in your life. Um, and at the end of the day, if this is something that you want and you're having a hard time reaching out or you know getting a response from a recruiter, maybe find another recruiter and say, hey, I'm having a hard time. Can you reach out for me? Um, so just making sure that you're, you're making it very aware to your recruiter. This is something I want. If you are not showing that this is what you want, then there is a good chance that they are not going to be showing that much effort as well. So it's kind of a balance, give and take, give and take. And if you're, if you're not calling me back, you're not texting me back, you're not training, you're not studying for the ASVAB. I'm going to start talking to someone who is very interested. Um, so just keep that in mind, and I think if you get you get all of that down, then you will be successful, and you'll you'll love it, like I have. So
0: nailed it. I think that's a great place to wrap it up. I uh, really appreciate your time. Um, thanks for everything that you. Do. Why don't you give them, folks where they can find you? All your contact um, info.
1: Yeah, so I can be found on Instagram. That's my. Biggest, you know, social media is going to be Instagram. It's tech sergeant underscore Anissa underscore Testaverdi. I know that's a mouthful. Sorry about mm-hmm. that, but uh, just look up ones ready. They follow me. Um, and then, in addition to it, you can call me. I don't know if I can give my number. Can I, give my I number? wouldn't
0: give your phone if you want no to give number. out an office number. Cool. <laughs> I it would I not give Our, out your cell phone.
1: Well, you can reach me at the social media page, my Instagram page. Let's and do that. At that point, if you are interested, then go ahead. Um, message me, we can email eventually and, you know, get in contact with one another at that point.
0: Right. But at the same time, like, yes, please reach out to Anissa, but at the same time, like also find your local Air National Guard recruiter. And you can do Correct. that at airforce.com, hit uh, airforce.com slash connect, find recruiter into your zip code. And that'll actually give you all the active duty in your area, or the at least the closest one. I think it gives you a range And it'll give you the National Guard um, and it'll give you any kind of special warfare near you. So, like, everything doesn't need to funnel towards the (laughs) NISA.
1: Yeah, that would be a lot. And you probably won't get a response very quickly.
0: (laughs) Right. So, um, again, thanks for coming on. Thanks for what you do uh, for for not just, you know, special warfare and and the 147th, but also the Air National Guard and, and the Air Force. And thanks for sharing all of our stuff as well.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This has been such an exciting experience.
0: Uh, You're always welcome to come back on. (laughs) All right, everybody. Train hard. Later.